the commitment he has to his family and the commitment he has to us, to his employer. So, needless to say, it was a really rough week. Um, I'm gonna pull a classic Josh Smith here and not tell the rest of the story till the end. I'm pretty excited about, but uh, <laughs> but I think I think that sets up that sets up the idea of this scripture and the tension that we live in um, in this world. So we got three three sections of scripture here. We've got the section on treasure, the section on our eyes, and the section on uh, master. And um, before we jump into it, I want to go back a little bit and remind us of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to a cross section of Jewish society in Palestine under Roman rule. Um, last week, we actually read the scripture right after this, which is about not worrying. And I imagine that this scripture and the scripture on not worrying um, have the same idea, but are looking at it from two different perspectives. Uh, maybe to make it more accessible for the wide swath of listeners that Jesus is talking to. And last week, is Adrian here? Adrian's not here. I love Adrian. Last week, Adrian made this beautiful uh, confession about feeling a sense of guilt knowing that he ate dinner last night and ate breakfast this morning, but there's kids in his class and there's people around the world that worry significantly about what they will eat and worry significantly about what they will wear. And while we might have these like big ideas of worry about those things, to be perfectly honest, we don't feel that worry. We have, we have access to get food in our body. Um, so, I think this passage is for us because we're in a position of building, of growth, of accumulation. What does it mean to build up treasures in heaven? And a quick disclaimer here, um, we don't spend a lot of time on the mountainside talking about heaven. And I don't want to get lost in the weeds of where and when and what heaven is, but Jesus is talking to people that have a huge invested interest in paradise after death. These Hebrew people he's talking to have a lot of hope in what's coming next. And they lean strongly on the hope of heaven. And we need to imagine this through the lens of people like that. I think of people suffering, people that don't know where their next meal is coming from, don't have access to clean water, um, don't have hope for their loved ones that are dying before them, and how they must have tremendous hope in a life in paradise after death. So I think it's good for us to hold that uh, hope and understanding of heaven um, along with I think our oftentimes understanding of it coming here on earth, which I'm not discounting that at all, but I think it's important that we've got the urgency and idea of hoping for heaven in our minds. Um, so what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Uh, again, looking back at the last couple weeks of what we've learned, um, the Sermon on the Mount is a bunch of beautiful but very counterintuitive messages uh, in the Beatitudes. Um, they're counterintuitive messages uh, to people, and the main message what I've heard uh, is I've heard Josh and Sonia and um, Aaron and Craig and Deborah talk about the Sermon on the Mount. People around you, people around us, the people we bump into, the people we see are a vital part of God's kingdom, a vital part of what Jesus is saying here. So we see that in the, the Beatitudes, the peacemaker, the merciful. Um, Aaron's illustration of a group of people, of all y'all, dancing together uh, as salt and light, pointing back to God, to each other. Uh, as we looked at murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, uh, vengeance, eye for an eye, Jesus' radical intensification of the law. The law says don't kill, but I say 
don't even be angry. The law says, um, don't lie, but I say, let your yes be yes, no be no. Uh, all this has to do is stepping up our game on how we treat the people around us. Uh, two weeks ago, Josh shared about the passage right before this, about giving to the needy, about prayer and fasting. And he helped us understand the importance of intention and how we are pious, how we practice righteousness and justice. And instead of doing these things to glorify ourselves, we do them with just intentions. And I've heard over and over in my mind as I've considered this verse and thought in broadly about the Sermon on the Mount, Luther's quote that um, righteousness or justice can be more dangerous than our sin because it leads to self-glorification. Um, this passage, these five verses are a continuation of Jesus setting up the framework for how his followers will treat each other and through that fulfill the link between loving God and loving neighbor. Our treasure should be the people around us, those that are right in front of us, those that need us most, and our treasure should be who they are, who God made them to be, not what we can get from them or out of them. I want to jump to the middle of the passage here. Um, at first read, I, it, it kind of felt like a funky place to put this thing about the eyes. Uh, but as I dug deeper, it's, it's beautiful and I think it's essential to understanding what Jesus is trying to say here. So the word good or healthy, uh, the eyes of the body, the eyes are healthy in this translation. That word, it comes from this word aplus in the Greek. And it's used throughout the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, and throughout the New Testament um, to mean healthy or good, but it has connotations of generous. It's actually translated by a couple of uh, translations like the NASB, which is really word for word, as liberality. And liberality means giving or spending freely, like liberal and you know, the opposite of you know, really conservative with your money. Um, and the word used for bad or unhealthy, if your eyes are unhealthy, it's also translated as stingy. So what we've got here, right in the middle of the section of scripture, is the building up of treasure linked with generosity. So uh, my challenge for us today is to understand the scripture as follows. Don't store up things or treasures for yourself. Instead, invest all that you have and all that you are in giving generously to others, those that are right in front of you, those that need you the most. And... I want us to understand generosity as something that comes from our eyes. Generosity with your eyes doesn't require a lot of money or physical resources. Uh, this verse says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. My dad has always said uh, you treat people how you look at them. Um, I think that's what we're getting at here as well. Um, look at others with eyes of generosity if you want to treat others generous, generously. And I think we usually think about our eyes just as receptors, what, what brings in what's around us, what translates light and dark, what translates good and bad, uh, what, or what filters that, what brings it into our brain. But what Jesus is saying here is that our eyes are what pushes out good and evil. So it's not the actual eye, but it's our attitudes, our assumptions, our presuppositions, our biases that we all have about one another or about people we just met or don't care to meet. These beliefs we carry are what shine through our eyes. So I wanna um, go back to uh, Aaron's image of us dancing together and learning dance moves. 
and talk a little bit about what this dance move of looking generously might look like. And I got some ideas, and then I'm hoping some of you will share some ideas as well of uh, what looking generously at others is, what having eyes of generosity is, and how that builds treasures in heaven. Um, so a couple examples I came up with, generous, generosity with our time. I think that's one of the hardest things for me is when I got something to do and I get interrupted, um, it's hard for me to be generous in that moment with my time. Um, I hope to have eyes that say, I have time for you, talk to me. Let me give you a ride. Let me listen to your stories. Let me watch your children. Uh, we're generous with our things. Um, I love the, share, the story that Missy shared a couple weeks ago about your stroller. And uh, being confronted with a neighbor that said it was their stroller. And you're, you were able to look upon that neighbor in a way that saw them um, and, and pushed out that generosity to, to turn around and give them that stroller. That was a beautiful story. Um, Jason, your Lenten confession has like pierced my heart every time I get in my car. And I hope it has for many of us here. Jason shared a couple weeks ago about his Lenten practice of not flashing his lights or honking when he's driving. And like, I think that's a perfect example of being generous and seeing those around you in a generous way and, and having, um, committing to doing some hard work to making sure that what's shining out of your eyes to the cars around you that are trying to get in the same spot you are in a generous way. Um, at Mount's Like Communion right now, uh, we have a lot of people being very generous with their homes. I know two families that are opening their homes to undocumented neighbors that need a place to stay. I think that's beautiful. Um, I think one of the groups that, or one of the, yeah, one of the, so the, the mothers that I know of, and especially the mothers that live in and around my house, are extremely generous. And I'm humbled and inspired by their sacrifice of time, things, their personal space, their rest, and they choose daily to look upon the children in front of them with incredible generosity to have uh, that light of generosity coming from their eyes onto their children, and oftentimes not even their own children. Um, I thought of teach teachers, social workers, nurses, doctors, medical professionals, um, others that work in places where you need to very closely interact with other human beings and touch them and look closely to them um, eye to eye. And my, I, 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 don't, I can't relate to that because I choose who I work with. Like I have the luxury of deciding who works at Interior Services and who doesn't. Um, but for those of you that are teachers, social workers, nurses, doctors, like you don't make that choice. You're given these people to look at generously day after day, and I'm inspired by that. Um, and one other example, and then I want to hear some examples from you guys. Um, I think the, the parable of the Good Samaritan um, is an incredible story that Jesus tells that gives a great example of this idea. We have these two guys, the, the priest and the Levite, two people, the priest and the Levite, stepping past and walking around this wounded traveler. And then the Samaritan, who's literally this guy's enemy, he walks up and he sees him and he has compassion on him. And Jesus uses that imagery in this parable that the, the priest sees him and walks on the other side. The Levite sees him and walks around him. And the Samaritan sees him and has compassion on him. And what, what's inside there projecting through those eyes in this instance is generosity and love for the other from the Good Samaritan. Um, generosity puts others in their needs before us. 
What do you see when you look at your neighbor? At your roommate, your spouse, your children, your coworker, your boss, your students, your friends, your real life friends, your friends on Instagram or Facebook? Do you look upon them with eyes of generosity or with stingy eyes? Are you seeking what you can gain? How you can get what you desire? Or are you looking at others in a way that casts aside your own desires and seeks their well-being before your own? Are there any other stories um, anyone feels compelled to share about people in your lives or maybe people in our community here um, that you've encountered that are examples of having generous eyes?
Um, so back to Lewis's story, I promise I'll go back there. I said it's been a rough week, and it really has. But it's also been a really inspiring week. Um, what, what Lewis has done is really inspiring, and how he has, uh, so he, he did not come into work the rest of the week. Um, so we had to scramble and figure out how we were gonna get these literally hundreds of shades installed without him, and had to like completely revamp our whole schedule. Um, and on Friday afternoon, I'm sitting at work just super proud of what I've watched my coworkers do, stepping in and making sacrifices because they saw Lewis's family as more important than their convenience or their plans or the work they had laid out for the week before them. So, um, yeah, his, um, his situation at home was more important to all of us than his commitment to work. And um, we tell each other, like, we, we try really hard to, to find who we are, where we're going, and how we're going to get there at work. And we're getting better at it, but we're, we still have a long way to go. And the first thing we tell each other is that we exist so that everybody can um, live a fulfilled life and give generously to others. And usually, like, I don't have a lot of examples of when I like, really see that. And this week, I felt like I really saw that. I was just really proud of um, the generous view with which everybody could take. And I mean, a lot of people should have been really upset about the inconvenience of not having our core subcontractor out there getting his work done. But instead, it became a rallying cry to get us all together to uh, support Lewis in that important commitment. Uh, his treasures, I mean, his family, his wife, his now four kids. Um, he had his fourth child. Who does that? <laughs> fourth child, baby boy Creed, on. Uh, Thursday, so fantastic, and we don't know when he's going to be back to work, um, but yeah, it's been a, a very inspiring example of this. Um, the last part of this passage says you can't serve two masters, you'll love the one or hate the other. You can't serve both God and money. The uh, old school translations say God and mammon, which mammon is like money, but it's also wealth. I'd say God and wealth is probably the best translation for us today. Or said another way, you can't love God and hoard things for your own. Hoarding is the opposite of generosity. There's a good amount of uncertainty around us today. Um, fear, not sure what the future is going to bring. And I think uh, the instinct in times like that is to make sure we've got enough. That we've got enough for our families, that we've got enough for ourselves. And that's not what eyes of generosity are. Imagine that we're in between two pulling forces, one that pulls us towards wealth, towards seeking self-satisfaction, comfort, and success, and the other that pulls us into these radically beautiful teachings given by Jesus to those that follow him. The first verse in chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew it says that Jesus saw the crowds of people following him and went up to a mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he taught them these things. These instructions and ideas of living generously, of seeing others with eyes that don't look for what they can get out of the situation, but with good intentions to see what can be given to others. And going back to the two questions that we wrestled with at the beginning about the $100 and about the 30 minutes of free time, I hope we can go from here with eyes that are generous to those right in front of us. I think that what we all heard from each other were examples of giving to people right in front of us, giving to the people that are in our lives, um, giving to the people that need us most. 
Um, who's there when you have 30 minutes to pop your heads up from the chaos? And then who's there in the midst of the chaos? Who are the people right in front of you? And I hope we can go from here um, and ex examining what our eyes are shining on others, what, pro what we're projecting on others uh, by how we look at them. We don't have all the kids back yet, huh? Yeah, let's uh, let's sing a song and then we'll um, have we'll all lead us in the Eucharist. Is that good? Yeah. Are we gonna pick one?